We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But my main takeaway from the game at Sporting Lisbon was we really need to get out of the Europa League. This is the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. A very Europa League first leg tie against Sporting Lisbon. Um, it had a bit of everything. I think if you were a neutral, and if you're listening to this, I'm going to go ahead and presume you're not a neutral, but uh, you were entertained. If you're not a neutral, yeah, it was a little bit slapstick at times. Uh, there were good moments, there were bad moments. We'll cover all that. There was a debut. Um, I don't know that it's a debut that will live long in the memory, but that's okay. And I just want to address something up front. I am aware that this is episode 666. Look, there's nothing that we have to worry about. There's nothing going to happen. We're going to do it. We're going to get through it. I realize it is the mark of the beast and all that, but we we are not superstitious about this sort of thing. Um, you know, if my head turns 360 degrees, as long as you're not watching on YouTube, you won't see it. It's like it never happened. So let's just get through episode 666 with uh, a minimal amount of fuss and get on to 667 where we discuss a raucous, rampant win uh, at Craven Cottage on Sunday. So line up for today. We'll talk about the game, the high points, the low points uh, against sporting. I do want to talk a little bit about the question of where we're at with the squad right now and are we stretched thin feels like we're a little stretched in does the impending international break give us a chance to get fresh maybe maybe not we'll discuss all that and we will discuss it with clive you can find him on twitter clive pfc hello clive hello hello and tim you can find him on twitter at stillminator hello tim hello there it's like old hat now um we have a new sponsor today by the way boys and i i really like them so that's coming up later uh just a little tease of the ad there that's what people listen for a tease of the advertisement uh, unless of course you're a patron in which case you will not find out about the exciting new sponsor and uh we love you for that so um tim i i think when it comes to the way to approach the europa league it's really really tricky because in my mind even a 5% less chance of winning the league 
is not worth taking. Mm-hmm. I also understand the argument that winning begets winning and that losing begets losing and that it's not a good thing for a team to ever throw any games. And you, there are people that would make the point, hey, when we're in the Champions League next season, you're not going to be throwing games. You need to get used to it. But we're not in the Champions League. We're in the Europa League and we could win a title this season. You have to play the season in front of you, not the season that's coming next season. So where I'm going with this is I, I think we rotated a nice amount. And frankly... I think we were would have rotated more were players like Tierney available, for example. I don't think Zinchenko would have played. Um, I don't know yes. that we had other options. Maybe Smith Rowe could have started instead of Bukayo Saka. But just on the topic of rotation and how we approach <clears throat> this game, do you have any qualms with, with the approach? I mean, there's some people out there who would say, play all the kids, throw the competition entirely. Whether you agree with that or not, it's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. No. So, so where do you stand on the degree of rotation and whether it should have been more or less or, or something else? Yeah, I, I think it was about right. I think you're completely right. I think, <clears throat> in fact, I think it's reasonably obvious that Tierney would have been earmarked um, to play in this game. I also think maybe Smith Rowe would have started if he didn't have to do 60 minutes on Saturday. I think probably the plan on Saturday was for him to get 20 minutes and then perhaps have 60 minutes in this game. And, and yep. in the end, we had to flip. Um, those two things round because of circumstances. So I, I think without those circumstances, we'd have seen eight changes. Um, and and I, I was more or less fine with that. I don't think, A, I don't think there's really anything we, else we could have done with that forward line, given the players that are unavailable. But also, if I'm worried about one thing for Sunday, it, it's the front line because it's kind of frustrating that like you play with Gabriel Jesus and then he's out and the world ends and everyone's ready to throw in the towel. And then Eddie Nketiah comes in and he does all right. Then that starts to run a little dry teams figure us out. So we get Trossard in and we've just managed to refresh that front line and now Trossard's out and you're like, for God's sake, like, you know, like on, on the face of it, Martinelli up front and Reese Nelson on the left wing, like if you'd have told someone in October that that's what we'd be turning out in a Premier League game in March, and we will be on Sunday because we don't have a choice, you'd be thinking, "Oh God, we've got a lot of injuries, haven't we?" So you know, but but I think it's useful. It was useful for that front three um, to be able to play together, and you know, like Fabio Vieira finished the game as the kind of false nine, and he was rotating in. I, d- I don't think. Assuming Odegaard's back on Sunday, don't really think we'd see him do that. So, I mean, potentially we found another, you know, begun to put another string on the bow, which we have to do attacking wise. But I I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any issues with the level of rotation at all. We have seen throughout the Europa League that always one of the senior centre backs has started. That is one thing Arteta always does. One of Saliba and Gabriel quite often Gabriel as well. So I think it kind of had to be Saliba. We had to give minutes to Kivior. We had to give him crap minutes because we knew he'd probably be rusty. And uh, the the only thing, um, and this is a hindsight thing, um, apologies for those of you who've listened to the instant reaction because we, we covered this in some detail, so I won't do it to death here. I think we should have started Tommy Asu at left back just mm. to handhold Kivior a little bit and just to be respectful of... Uh, Sporting's biggest attacking threat, which was off their left-hand side, where they gave us a lot of problems until Tommy Asu and Gabriel came on. So I think in hindsight, we should have started Tommy Asu at left-back, not least because the right side of the defence was stable. It was White and Saliba, like it usually yeah. is. Saka on the like the right side was was quite stable. 
Um, so I, I think we should have started Tommy Asu in, in hindsight, but that's, like I said, that's not something I was screaming for before the game, I have to admit. Yeah, and th- what I will say is that I think the two players you probably worry about from a fitness standpoint are Party and Zinchenko, just based off track record. Mikel has been careful with Party. I think he's done a good job being careful with Party to the extent that he can and was again in this game. And with Zinchenko, despite the score in the game, he played an hour and came off. And to me, it looked very planned. And oh, by the way, we got a really nice Tomiyasu cameo that should help his confidence because I thought he looked great. So I think to the extent that there are options, Jorginho for uh, Party and Tomiyasu for Zinchenko, he took those options. Yeah. Had he had Tierney, I feel pretty confident Tierney would have just started the, the game. So with the two players you'd worry about, there's been some coverage there. But let's stay on this for a second. Uh, Clive, I want to... I'm going to give you some interesting stats and credit to uh, Northside Gunner on Twitter who sent me a lot of stats, to be fair, <laughs> a lot of them. But I think some of them are interesting. Uh, Mohamed Salah has been the biggest workhorse in the Premier League with around 3,800 to 4,300 minutes in all comps in the last five seasons, okay? So that's like the, the top of the top. But Kyle Saka is currently at 3,000 plus another 300-ish in the World Cup. He's on pace to exceed anything that really anyone has done. He's on pace for over 4,000 minutes uh, plus the World Cup. And, you know, I I know he's young and I know what Mikel has said about the top players just, you know, play all the games. But if you look at Manchester City last season, their number one top minutes guys were KDB and uh, Foden, De Bruyne and Foden at 3,300. Sack is trending towards 4,000. Um, I just wonder, you know, especially last season when we saw the squad start to break down and and cost us at the end of the season, with guys like Saka who who just play 90 minutes every game, Clive, do you have any concern that at some point Mikel is going to have to find time to get him and maybe one or two others a rest? Yeah, well, we spoke about his concern for many, many, many months. And um, yeah. But, mate, if you've got a solution in your back pocket, I'm I'm here for you. Right, so um, there is well, no stretched, solution. Right? We don't have yeah. it. Yeah, there's no solution. It. So the conversations mute. There's no solution. There's just not a team with him not in it at the moment. Right, Smith Rowe is nowhere clear, close to playing. If the only option, is, and this could happen at the weekend, by the way, I don't see a situation where Fabio Vieira plays like he does and then doesn't start on Sunday. Mm. And it could be a situation where he could take up one of the wide positions. And Saka take up one of the other wide positions because I don't know if you're aware, but Reese Nelson came back and, and obviously made all our dreams against Bournemouth. He played a game last night and he, you know that second game without the adrenaline? It's a bit harder for him, you know? And we don't want to be cruel to him, by the way. He's just back from injury and suddenly we give him three games in seven days. But that's not that's not correct. And so he needs to be um, looked after. So I can see a situation where the front three could be Vieira, Saka, and um, and Martinelli, and they're going they're going to be rotating with hopefully Odegaard in behind them and, um, and the normal the normal crew in behind. So that's what I could see happening, purely based on seniority, purely based on minutes, robustness, fitness, and availability, and what you're doing. Right. So right, as for Saka, well. It's a problem, and hopefully it's a problem that will resolve in the summer because we need a true, true right-sider. 
that can really compete with him, that's got the speed dynamics to go over the top, come short, spin, go inside, mm. all the things that we're used to and we refuse to not have in that position. Smith Rowe can't do it. Um, no, no one can do it. You know, the last Jesus do it. You, you know what I mean? You like, can't do it like that. You know, and yeah. and what you do with a player that's coming back from injury, you don't start him back in a big space position. You start him back where in his normal position, where all the body movements are are normal to him. Um, obviously, he can play anywhere when he's sharp, but he's not sharp. So you bring him back into his home, and then you expand him out once he's fit and ready. You don't bring him back into a position where he's not used to, right? So, so we haven't got a choice this year. We can only end games with different people. And if you watch that, can I say it before? He is very economical in-game. He's very smart and clever. But I will I will literally criticise that by saying, when you watch this game and you watch his defensive diligence, the amount of times you looked at the screen and he was further back than Ben White was quite concerning for me. And he's so diligent defensively that although offensively we think he had a quiet game, there's a comp out there of Saka's game and it wasn't quiet. It was mm. excellent, you know, and um, it makes you Did wonder you how we do that. Them. Clive, about um, he completed more take ons. I think the second most take ons um, in the Europa League this season with wow. eight in this game. I didn't see that, but Tim, you are not surprising me in the slightest, you know, with that detail. It's, I think he's a player that just has a standard now, which says eight out of 10. And from here, mm. we go forward. And he's so trustworthy defensively and offensively. And in the period where we went 2-1, watch it again, he was on it, mate. Winning tackles, firing shots, he was on it. And he is just brilliant, just brilliant. It's interesting, right? Because if you look at the front three as a group, Jesus, Inkedia, Saka, Martinelli, Trossard, Nelson, Smithrow. It's not light and you could even probably throw Vieira in there as as an option right it's not light but there's no Smith Rowe really yet there's no Inkedia there's no Jesus there's no there's no Trissard so we're in that place again where needs must uh, I am sure if Mikel Arteta had his way it'd be Trissard starting on the right instead of Saka or it would be Enkedia through the middle and Martinelli on the right instead of Saka or something like that. He just didn't have the option. If ML Smith-Rowe was fully match fit, it might have been Smith-Rowe, Nelson, and Martinelli instead of Saka. It just isn't available. But the reality of life is that, you know, fatigue and injuries don't take into account whether you had other options, right? Fatigue and injuries don't say, well, well, you know, look, you played 4,000 minutes, but you didn't have a choice. They just happen when they happen. Now, they could never happen. They might never happen. Or, by the way, it could take its toll next season, right? Look at Liverpool. Liverpool goes and wins a title, and what happens? They collapse. The the um, the inhalers run out, right? And, and they collapse. Um, and so I do think that it's something to keep an eye on. But for right now, I fully understand that Mikel just does not have a lot of options. And so it's a case of pushing and pushing until there is an alternative. Um I think I want to work our way back. We'll, we'll talk Kivior and Turner a bit because I think those are those are two performances that may raise some questions. But I also want to discuss Martinelli because, Tim, this is the second time now we've seen Martinelli play in the center forward position. He did it a bit um, at the weekend, and he did it, uh, he did it in this game 
almost exclusively until Vieira weirdly went into the false nine instead of Smith Rowe, which is something we can maybe discuss. But I have to say, I think Martinelli has shown a lot of quality in that position. Now, look, there's a chance that I think he tries to dink past the keeper. I think it's the right kind of finish. The keeper saves it well. There's some stuff going around social media saying, should he have squared it to Vieira? Maybe he needs to get his head up more and scan more. Okay, that that's developmental for him. The run he makes back to front 60 yards all the way through on goal. He tries to round the keeper. He probably should just slot it. I don't know if it's because he was just out of puff <laughs> you know, from running that fast, that hard, that far around that many players. Um, I think he was 7 of 11 on dribbles or something like that, which is just outrageous. He flashed. He's one of those players you just noticed him throughout the game. He really flashed. And I think I think we're finding him as a center forward now. I'm not saying as the first choice, but, you know, Mikel has seemed reluctant to use him as center forward. He ha- really hadn't done it until he had to. I'm wondering if you think these performances are good enough that Mikel will now see that as an option and also see that as an option in the case where he might rotate more with Gabriel Jesus, who obviously is quite comfortable on the wing when he needs to be. Because I think I think Martinelli is showing us something now. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the interchange is that wh- like wherever you play Martinelli in the front line, like there needs to be a level of interchange. And even before Fabio Vieira kind of went up front for the last 15 minutes or so, those two were interchanging as well. Martinelli was coming short. Fabio Vieira was getting into that right half space. And just in general, I think there's a lot more movement in the forward line um, at the moment. There's a lot more rotating of positions. I think we're seeing Saka on that inside lane a lot more than we were like a month or two ago. And, And I think all of this is just like a coaching solution to... You know, the Everton game, the Brentford game, where we looked low on inspiration, looked like we'd been figured out, and it was, okay, I need you all to swap. And and look, I'll refer again to that still image of Saka's goal against Everton that opens the scoring. You've got Martinelli on the right wing, Trossard on the left wing, Xhaka up front, Saka on the inside right. Like, that's a level of movement we weren't really seeing. Um, it was really, it was just like, you know, the winger and maybe the inside forward might swap a bit. Jesus might go. Now it's, it's a fully, it's like a full carousel. Um, so that's the important thing for Martinelli and the way we played it, for example, against Everton, Martinelli and Trossard, I couldn't tell you who, well, we basically, we played Everton without a fixed striker as far as I'm concerned, even more so than like the Leicester game, for example. I thought those two were completely fluid, like just depending on the move. Sometimes Martinelli was out there, Trossard up front, sometimes the other way around. And that's, I guess that's kind of what concerns me, just because I'm thinking, are we going to get that level of movement again with like Nelson, which is not... um, a comment or a criticism of Nelson's quality, but just he hasn't really played. So the reason those other guys have been able to do that is understanding, really, like Saka and Martinelli have played basically every game. So And so's Ben White, you know, on that overlap and, and Zinchenko and Xhaka, like they've all played quite a lot. It's the central player that's changed, but now there's like two elements of it have, that have changed. And, that, and And I guess that's what worries me. But then again, like, you referenced it again in the instant reaction, the XG we've been putting up. We scored two goals in this game. Martinelli, um, to flip the question back to him, because that's what you actually asked me, <laughs> has like has three big chances in this game. Um, you know, one of them that that dribble, um, one of them that kind of clip finish where yeah, maybe he probably should have uh squared it to Vieira and did he have a header as well? He, I know if, he got under it. He didn't yeah, keep his leap quite right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and I'm not confusing it with the Fabio Vieira header because I know yeah, Vieira had a, 
his was a, his a, was a better, better header. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jumping. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like he's he's had like he's had three big chances in the game playing at centre forward without I think the same level of fluidity um, that we've seen. But I, I I think that's kind of what Martinelli needs. He needs like a a bit of a a bit more of a rotating kind of front line. And and on that on that point, I don't think it's almost like. Um, I was listening to a podcast about Marcus Rashford this morning and they kind of asked the question, oh, has he found his position, like that kind of inside left position? And actually, I can't remember who it was, was maybe Laurie Whitwell, who covers United for the Athletic, kind of said, actually, I mean, yeah, maybe, but really it's not about, it's about where Rashford is at the crucial point of the attack. And he kind of said, look, sometimes he's central, sometimes he does come off the left and cut in, but sometimes in the centre-forward position. And he described him as like a moments player. He said, it, it's the moment with Rashford. Like, you might not get 90 minutes of really, really good stuff, but he knows where to be at the right moment. I think Martinelli is quite similar. Um, and, and I felt it in this game because I wouldn't necessarily say that was an exemplary centre-forward uh, kind of overall display, but the big moments of the game, they kind of had at least his fingerprints on them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And you know, it's, it's, I, I'm sure there are people that'd be frustrated because I say, well, you know, he didn't score. He had those chances. He didn't convert them, but I think we've been consistent about what we want from our players, right? Getting into good positions to score. Like Gabriel Jesus underperforms his XG more than basically anyone in the premier league, but we adore him. Gabriel Martinelli is actually our best finisher in the entire team in terms of goals versus XG this season. That may surprise people. He's also been the most unlucky player. I think his third most or fourth most unlucky player in the Premier League in terms of expected assists versus assists, meaning the quality of chance he's created not being finished. So I think in terms of his output of chances that he gets on the end of and, and creates is good, He's his back-to-goal hold-up play is not Gabriel Jesus' level, certainly, but Clive, when he runs through on goal there, I mean, I said this on the instant reaction. I, you know he's got pace. Great. He's got pace. He seems to have this way of adding a gear with the ball at his feet. Like, there's a lot of people that can run, right? Just flat out run. Theo Walcott can flat out run. But with the ball at your feet, to be faster than the opposition is a very special skill, and he seems to have it. I don't know. It just He doesn't play center forward necessarily the way like Gabriel Jesus does, but I think he's made himself an option I assume for Fulham, Clive, we're going to see Nelson, Martinelli, and Saka again. So I'm wondering your thoughts on Martinelli keeping his place at center forward, the, the job he's doing so far, and if you think that is going to be the plan until one of these guys comes back. Yeah, I, I just see him as a as a wing forward. You know, my thoughts are we use wing forwards. I see Jesus as a wing forward. If we put yeah. number 11 on his back, we wouldn't look at him as a center forward. Look at how he's played for us and look at where he stands. It's all about the, those front three rotating and moving, right? So, And so when we're having our Eddie Wars on the podcast, which is wars for us because we don't really have wars, mm-hmm. one, of the, and one of the things I was saying is, you know, I don't care if Eddie scores. I want him to collaborate with the, with the others. I want to have them all have 40 touches each. And what happened? We get a situation where Saka's got 80 touches, Eddie's got 21, and we, we draw games nil-nil. It's not, that's not us. You know, and we put Trossard in. He's not a centre forward, but he's a collaborator. 
And guess what? We find Martinelli again. Everyone's loving him again. And we got four people working our diamond and one person crashing it, which is a, which has been Shaka or Vieira, you know, for, for argument's sake. And so the big thing about Arsenal is how we connect, combine our floating triangles and diamonds in wide areas and how we connect. It's not standing in places with a number on the back of your shirt saying, I am the centre forward. We need somebody in that central area. In the game yesterday, I'll be honest with you, I thought Reese Nelson could have come inside and played the false nine quite easily. What we're looking for is ball security. Nothing more than that. And and, con- and continuity of, of retaining the ball. Our dangerous, most dangerous players need space to run into, out to in. And that, for me, is still Saka and Martinelli. Reese Nelson's second game, his legs were a little bit tight. So you could see it. I'm thinking, get you inside. You've still got your feet. Get you inside into a small area. You can work there. Use your, sp- use your energies there to retain the ball. And we saved a big space for our bigger sprinters, which are Saka and Martinelli and our isolation players. So if you look at the front four in that way, that's the only way I can look at it because that's what our best players are telling me. That's what we do. And when we don't do so well, it's when we have single-layered players and again, that's not a critique on Eddie because against Manchester United and Spurs, we don't win without him. But we get found out very quickly and we had to change again, didn't we? Collaboration is what we're all about. And that collaboration drives creativity, which is very hard to read. So I see us, and I'm into summer mode already. Hmm. And I wonder, I've got my eye on one particular player, right? One particular wing forward player, which I think suits his group perfectly. Right, so, mm. and I and I wonder, I wonder more about the sales which are going to tell us about the direction by which we are heading, Elliot. Do you think this front three will start at Fulham? I'll just put it out there. I think it will be the same front three. I don't. I think the front three will be Vieira, Saka, and Martinelli. That's what I think it will be. Odegaard comes back. I think Vieira deserves Vieira at false another. nine like he played at the end of the game or, or on the left-hand side? Or, or on the left-hand side. I just think they're the most dangerous three. And so I, w- I would play those three. You know, but... And again, to be, to, be, to be honest and to be safe with the injury record of both Nelson and Smith-Rowe, They've they've had their collecting minutes, so that's what I would do for this game. Yeah, I mean the thing that's hard. So Tim, I I I don't think he'll do that, but I could absolutely see it. I don't think it'll be Vieira, Saka, and Martinelli. I think it'll be Nelson, Martinelli, and Saka again. The only reason I don't think it'll be Smith Rowe is I just don't think they trust that he's fit enough to start yeah. yet. Um, and what you don't want to get caught in is he plays thirty minutes and then he's something goes pop and you got to make a, a sub after 30 minutes. Um, you'd rather use him with 30 minutes to go. But yep. but it is interesting with Vieira because I thought he's potentially man of the match. He play, he was great in this game. Saliba, mm-hmm. another candidate for that, um, and scored a, a goal. And, um, but v- and from a Vieira corner, by the way. Uh, but yeah, I thought he was really, really good. Maybe less so when he moved to false nine. I thought that was a strange move, and I don't know if he looked totally at home there. Um I think it would be a shame to drop him the way he looked. And so I'm back to retiring Granite Shaka because if I don't think he's going to be in the front three, I mean, maybe maybe Odegaard doesn't get over his, you know, whatever bug is passing around the group and we have to start Vieira instead of Odegaard. No, no stress there if we have to do that. But if the, if Odegaard is fit, I don't think it's, I don't think you want to drop Vieira. So what, what do you what do you think? I mean, does he have a, an argument for keeping his place at the expense of the man who who has never dropped? 
It, it, it's a question. It definitely is. I still think, um, I, I don't think that will happen. I don't think I would do it either because I think when your attacking options are limited, you need to keep something in reserve, basically. Yeah, and, yeah good point. And, and I, I mean, this happened unwittingly, actually, with the Bournemouth game where um, Trossard had to come off and we didn't really... Uh, I mean... Let's face it, bringing Nelson on was a Hail Mary in that game because he wasn't even on the bench the two games before that. That was very much a, we can't play Smith Rowe for the last 20 minutes of this. We've stretched him to the absolute maximum. So I, I think essentially it will be the same front three. I do think it's useful to have that continuity because we, we that's what we've got, I think, until the international break, most likely. So... I think it would be useful to keep that front three going. And as for Vieira for Xhaka, again, for me, that's first substitution territory mm. um, if and when we need it. And then, you know, maybe Smith Rowe for Nelson. Like, I think we've got to keep something in reserve. And I, like, honestly, I think we've got to be prepared for the fact that it might be hard work to score a goal. Um, on Sunday, just because of the level of absence we've got, we I think we're gonna we might have to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable in some of these games. And Fulham are really strong at home. Like you know what what we've got to do in this game is keep the back door shut as well. Um, and I do think Xhaka helps with that um, as well because they're they're dangerous at home. They do score goals. Well, so just like, another big body to bang with Mitrovic in the box when they get set pieces and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're going to need a little size in there to handle that. Exactly, exactly. And we've we've been struggling um, with that set with, with set yeah. pieces. Mm-hmm. So I I definitely start Jack for this game. You, you're right. Like Vieira, quote unquote, probably deserves to start. But at the same time, we got the second leg um, next week against Sporting, and and I think we can start him again there in whatever position it is. Um, may well be be a uh, Xhaka's position for that game, and and also like sometimes with these players as well, because obviously most of his experience is in the Portuguese league. Um, I know managers do often take like I remember we did this with Reyes right when we signed Reyes that January he didn't really start any league games for a little while as we bled him in but we got Celta Vigo in the Champions League and he played every minute of both legs because it was like okay this is this is a team you're used to playing this is a rhythm you're used to playing at so I think there's some value in extracting that out of Vieira um, for the two Europa League legs. And also, like, look, he's a sporting, uh, sorry, he's a Porto Porto boy Mm -hmm. against sporting. And, you know, I I think there's an element to which when he went to take corners, he probably quite liked uh, (laughs) being reminded (laughs) of his roots. And yeah, 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 because I've got no idea, but like maybe that got an extra couple of percent out of his performance. I don't know, like, um, I, you know, can't obviously say what's going through his head, but I, I'd look to start him again in the second leg, definitely. And he'd probably be sub number one for me on Sunday, but I, w- I don't think I'd start him unless Erdegaard's not available. It's an interesting game because multiple people have pointed my attention to the fact that Fulham's underlying numbers are real bad. They're sort of defying gravity and they're not going to have Paulinho, who's sort of their defensive enforcer in midfield. And already, I th- I, this surprised me because they're in seventh, I think, they have the worst expected goals allowed in the entire league. Like that, that was surprising to me. And, you know, we couldn't pick a better team statistically to come up against given our, our issues up front, if that is actually a reflection of who they are. 
and they should be a little bit more tissue paper soft in midfield given who they're missing. Um, we know Mitrovic can cause a problem, and given that we've had problems on set pieces, that'll be something to look out for. Um, I want to go back to the Kivior debut and the, and the Turner performance as well. I think they're talking points. <clears throat> I want to give some flowers to Saliba, who I think has just gone from maybe struggling a bit after the World Cup to not flawless, but fantastic. Um, I think that's important to discuss <clears throat> and certainly look forward to the, to the full match a little more thoroughly. But I teased it earlier, and now it is time to tell you about a new sponsor to our show, Shady Rays. Now look, Shady Rays, that could mean a lot of different things. Could go a lot of different directions with that. But what Shady Rays is, are, what Shady Rays is, are, is, what that company is, is a sunglass company. That's right. They do polarized shades and customized snow goggles and a lot more. And they're an independent sunglass company. They offer world-class products. It's just as good as any expensive designer pair you've worn, and I've had a chance to wear one of them, and I love them. Uh, the polarizing is great. The optics are really clear. They have really durable frames. They're good for outdoors activities. So if you're going to be outdoorsy, if you're you know getting gearing up for spring and summer, perfect for that. Um, they're not just great protection, but this. So this is what, what's wild. You, you guys got to hear this. This is crazy. They have a lost and broken replacement policy. If you break a pair or lose a pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. That alone is worth it for me because in my lifetime, the majority of sunglasses I have bought have been due to either sitting on them and breaking them or losing them completely. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, the only reason you've ever bought sunglasses is because you just lost or just broke a pair. So you can get these amazing polarized sunglasses and then if you lose them or break them, you just get a new pair, unbelievable, right? You can look good, feel good. They've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger. And if you don't love them, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. So here we go. Exclusively for Arsenal Vision podcast listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use Arsenal Vision as the code at checkout, and you will get half off, 50% off two pairs or more of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. The Shady Rays are rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ArsenalVision. So I'm very, very excited about that. That's very, very cool. And of course, we just got to let you know about Shopify. If you're trying to start a business online, you need Shopify. You can start your website there. I was actually literally talking to someone just the other day. Uh, I, actually, an Uber driver. And the Uber driver was saying he wanted to sell silkscreen shirts. You know, he wants to start his own business. He's, he's driving for Uber. He's got dreams. We all have dreams and aspirations. He wants to start his own business. Doesn't know how to build a website. Told him about Shopify. You can sell on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, on Twitter. You can uh, drag and drop images and videos, make it look super professional. They do all the payment processing for you. They do all the uh, calculations for shipping costs for you. They can even drop ship stuff for you so you don't have to have the inventory yourself. Hook up with all different kinds of plugins and things like that to make it look really fun and professional. It is the backbone of the internet. Um, and you can start the business of your dreams with Shopify. All you have to do is sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Don't know why, but that's what it says here. Go to shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase, to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash arsenalvision. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Got it. Hmm. Okay. We're back. Clive. Yes, sir. Kivior got his debut. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in his mind, it wasn't going to go like this. 
it's scary making your debut for a big club. And he looked scared. <laughs> I mean, I have no other way to put it. It started right from the opening whistle. I think he was one of the first Arsenal players to touch the ball. He had a pass out. I don't know if it was to to White or, or to Saliba. It was something like that. And just an easy as you can be passed and rolled it so slowly that it nearly got intercepted. And, and it just kind of went from bad to worse there. The one thing I will say, though, there's a lot of talk that on the goal where he kind of ducked under the header for the corner. It's because he got a shout from Turner and then Turner didn't come. And I can buy that because the way he kind of looks over his shoulder to Turner and cowers looks like he's gotten a shout, right? I mean, I don't care whether you like the player, don't like the player. The odds that he just cowered that way, I think that's pretty unlikely. But in general, he looked he looked pretty shaky. Um you don't write off young players at center back on a first performance because they looked a little shaky in a Europa League performance, but it's not great. And, uh, you know, I think what it will do, Clive, is it will maybe give Mikel pause to pick him in the return leg. Um, so I'm curious how you feel about this Kivior debut and if you do think that he'll just go right back into the team for the for the return or if this might mean he uh, he cooks in the in the reserves for a while and we see him next season. <laughs> yeah, there's no reserves anymore for him. That's and that's part of the problem, isn't it? He's played yeah. one one half of under twenty one games since January. So yeah. So let's let's just Rusty. think about his game as a whole, right? If anything, he's a a six foot version of that Martinez. He's a ball progression centre back. He strides with the ball. And he can pick people out from different corners of the planet, right? At, with the ball at his feet first time or with the ball rolling away from him. It's quite a unique skill to do that. Really accurate and really brave and lots and lots of personality. So what didn't you see in the game last night? <laughs> you didn't see lots of personality. You saw a player playing within himself and playing safe. So straight away, with my head on, I, I'm not looking at the mistakes I'm looking at the fact that you didn't play, son. You didn't show yourself. You didn't show your superpowers. You're you're mm. you're quite quick. You're quite aggressive. You can run over your shoulder and you can ping that ball. And what he did when he came on, the, on this pitch, he played his first game for Arsenal Football Club and he was quite nervous. And and William Sleeva picked up the slack and and Kivior deferred to him at all times. And that's just a young player playing at a high level for the first time. And um. I can hear people saying, yeah, but he's he's not as young as Saliba. Well, Saliba is uh, about to get a big contract with potentially a number two in the front of it. Who knows, right? He's that N good. Nelson, Nelson's not as young as Saka. Players <laughs> develop at different times, right? Different I mean, not rates, everybody's on the same path. <laughs> at different rates. And, and Saliba, he, he could be our centre-back for half a decade, easy. And he will still be only 26. It's ridiculous, you know? And that's when Liverpool signed Van Dyke. Was he 27 when they signed him? And look what he turned out to be, right? So, and there were doubts about him at 26, 27, right? So, so I don't worry about the, the, the technical issues. The only thing I would say is it's a very simple thing to fix. It's just play relaxed, play free. And then we can see what you've got. Because last night we didn't see what he had because he was nervous. And, and that is it, Elia. And so for me, young playmaking centre-backs with a left foot, they don't drop off trees. So we need to nurture this one and make sure he gets to the level because Gabriel can't play 60 games a season. So we need this guy to take up 25 games a season next year, 2025, 
and and end games and get more and more minutes, and then we can we can judge him accordingly. Yeah, I I think that's fair. And having any judgment at this point is just super super premature. Where I am willing to have a judgment is, I think it's the kind of performance that may cost him the return leg. Maybe. I think Mikel, in his mind, he might have said, "Great, I finally have a chance to use Kivior. I'm going to use him home and away against Sporting." I don't, I don't know if he's going to have the confidence to do that now. You know, um, Tim, just quickly on that, then let's shift to Turner. Do you, do you think I may be right that the the performance is enough that it becomes Holdings' return leg, or do you think he'll stick with Kivior and just I mean, no, no, no drama, I, as Clive says? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe he had in his mind, I want to play. I'm going to play Saliba for one leg, Gabriel for the other. Um, and we'll see something else like that's kind of what happened in the group stage. They, one of them played, but not both of them. Um, so I think the plan might have been to share between those two players anyway, but we, we haven't really seen what we'd do at right center back. Like whether that means Ben White going back to center back and Tommy Asu starting because Saliba's played pretty much all our games as well. Whether that does mean holding just coming in at right center back, but I wouldn't have been surprised if that would have been. His his plan anyway, but I I just think with Kivio we we had to get this debut out of the way. We had to accept that it probably wasn't going to be great, given the fact that he's never played with this team before. It's an unfamiliar team anyway. So, like if he'd st- let's say Gabriel was suspended for a game or something, and he came into the team like on Sunday, I'm sure he'd be fine. But this isn't the team. This has got this is a team with five other changes in it, different goalkeeper, um, and everything like that. So. You know, I, I I I think we just had to get this out of the way. And had we signed him in the summer, we'd have got this out of the way in September against Zurich and October and November against Brighton and the Carabao Cup. And like like Clive says, we we had to do this. And when else are you going to do it? Because I, I don't want Kivior having seventy rubbish minutes against Palace or Fulham. If he's going to have seventy rubbish minutes, I want them in the first leg of the round of sixteen, the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Just add one last bit on top of that, Tim. Like you, said, you said it yesterday, but I'll just remind you. If Kieran Tierney had played this game, he'd have had a more traditional left-back next to him, and that would have put him into a, a pocket there, wouldn't it? And it would have been much easier. That position, uh, and I know Tim's wrote on this in the last month or so, that position, Gabriel's position, we ask a lot of that player, don't we? Genuinely. And with Zinchenko disappearing into midfield, we saw that Maybe there's a bit of exposure in that slot. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, Clive is so quick on the mute button after he stops talking. It often mutes before he's even stopped talking. You, you've got such an itchy trigger finger to be so professional. Um, so, all right. So, well, Clive, w- w- what about uh, Matt Turner? Um, I think this is the problem, right? If you don't use your squad, don't be surprised if your squad isn't ready when you try to use them. Matt Turner hasn't played in ages. And I think all of us would have to agree. He had a great World Cup and he looked really good for us when he had played prior to that. He was coming around. He was starting to earn trust. There were even some people, I think Clive, you had mentioned it. Ramsdale should look over his shoulder. This guy isn't here just to be a backup. He started the World Cup. He was looking good for us pre-World Cup. Um, And I think those were totally fair comments. Now he looks like he looked in preseason where we're all like, what's this about now? And that... That is the life of a backup and a backup who's, you know, not getting games at all. TV or again, a guy who hasn't played any football in ages. So this is the challenge when you have players who are just not playing at all. 
you have to be prepared for them to look rusty and Turner really, really looked rusty. Yeah, he did. And let's look at it. There's a couple of angles to look at this, actually. That scared face. Remember that scared face preseason that we saw in his early games? I it sure do. Of, it, it was, <laughs> I was worried It was sort it. of back again. <laughs> and so Turner's actually a lesson for all of us that once you do come in and settle, like Kivior, that you can reach the level. But the scared face was back again. So mm. it makes me think, what do we do here? Because I, I think it's a very smart signing. You know, generally to bring someone like that into the group, a slightly older goalkeeper. I think it's a very smart signing. Although he's older, he's less experienced than Ramsdale. But I think he, he brings a lot to the group. But what I will say, there is an argument to say, actually, is that a smart signing? Because someone messaged me this, and I apologize if I forget. It might have been Albino said something about this. We've got a goalkeeper that takes up a non-homegrown player position, um, somebody that's not playing. Is it smart for him, an international goalkeeper that's not playing? Will that affect his career? Is it a great thing for him to do this year, knowing next year is going to be even more games, more cup competitions, more opportunity to play? We'll have a stronger squad, so we can stay in the cups longer. We got out of the cups this year, so he's had slightly less games to play. I think there's a discussion to be had here about his position and about what he wants to do. Because not many people make the jump from MLS over to the a top four, top six Premier League team. He's done it. He's in the shop window. Will someone tap him on the shoulder and say, you, you come and be our number one? You know, I do think this is a there's a discussion around Matt Turner to be had. I'd be happy if it stays the same and he gets more football because that's, that's all he needs. But will it be enough football for him at Arsenal? I don't know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which way that falls in it. Yeah, I I don't know. I have to admit, like, some of this stuff <clears throat> starts to spiral into conspiracy theory for me. You know, every time we sign a foreign player who's not from a traditional footballing power, you start to hear things like, oh, he was probably just bought to sell shirts in that region or yeah, for a commercial like activity. Let, let me tell you something. I can say this as an American. Arsenal didn't gain one single fan because they signed a backup goalkeeper who's American. Guys, like... You know, maybe, maybe, maybe if you signed Christian Pulisic back in the day, you would have you would have garnered some some support. Or maybe back when it was really just starting out and you had Dempsey or something like that. Matt Turner didn't bring hordes of American fans to Arsenal. Like, that's just lunacy. You know who brought hordes of American fans to Arsenal? Thierry Henry. American fans want to watch the best players in the world. You know who are going to bring hordes of fans to Arsenal? Winning a title. Bukayo Saka. Right. Those are the guys. So, I mean, not not to be a jerk about it, but like it does does get a little tinfoil hat time with with some of this stuff. Maybe Turner was a bad signing. Maybe using up a non homegrown slot on a backup keeper doesn't make sense. I also think we overstate. I can get back to my two refrigerators theory. Most backup keepers are not stars in waiting. You know, I mean, I realized we had Emmy Martinez backing up Leno at one point. But in that case, we had two mediocre keepers, in my view, and no stars. Right now we have a star. And we have a backup, and the backup is a backup. So I don't know, Tim. I I, I think there's probably too much hand wringing over this. In in an mm-hmm. ideal world, your backup keeper never plays a game that you really desperately need, and I think that will be the case for us. I think Turner has shown at times this season that if we need him, he can do it. He looked really yeah. rusty, and yeah, it was concerning. But like getting back to the idea of like you know we signed him because there are two people from Ohio who are now going to stream the games on NBC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, come on, guys. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I completely agree. Like, you know, look, backup goalkeeper is, is a very difficult position to fill in your squad. But um, I guess like just looking at his his performance with all the caveats about rustiness, et cetera, et cetera. Like at City, for example, like we played away at Man City with him in goal and he looked good. He looked fine. But this was his first time uh, since then. <clears throat> and yeah, there, there were some things that concern. Like he's never fully convinced with the ball at his feet. Actually, I think his long kicking looks really good, um, but his short passing doesn't. And actually, it makes you appreciate with Ramsdale because we, well, I don't, I don't know if we is fair. I certainly associate him with the, the long kicking um, because that's when we signed him, that's what all his metrics showed up. But actually, I think we take for granted his, his short passing, not just the passing between the lines stuff, but I think what we saw in this game, and to be fair, it wasn't just from Matt Turner. So maybe there was something about the field. Um, I don't know, but quite a few passes were, were a bit short um, in that final third. So I, I don't know whether grass was a bit long, bit dry, don't know. But like he doesn't, I think commentators use the phrase like he puts a message on it um, when he passes. When Ramsdale passes you the ball, um, you know, it's like a shot of caffeine. It wakes you up. It's like, oh, oh, I need to do something with this. I need to get going. Mm. Um, and, and that's actually something, by the way, I thought Arteta was great at as a player, um, like really yeah. punching the ball at people and making Thomas them. Party is is yeah. the absolute exemplar of doing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like control this and get on with it. Mm. Um, whereas Turner's passes weren't doing that. And he, he looked really nervous with the ball at his feet again, but I do think he grew into it. I do think that when that defence stabilised a little bit, when we got Tommy Asu and Gabriel on and we weren't under as much pressure and perhaps we had a more familiar back four, um, he, his passing looked much better. So there's probably like some positional stuff. But in the first half, I was kind of thinking... And look, you know, you've got to stick to the game plan and all of that, and you've got to come through these periods. But there was a part of me that was thinking, man, just go long. Like, you're long kicking good, and you're playing us in trouble quite a bit with your short passing. My, my, my other issue with his performance, though, and again, this might just be like a rustiness thing, a lot of pushing the ball out in front of him. Um, and I had that frustration. Yep. And then, of course, the second goal, he does that. To be fair, that's a really fierce shot that comes at him very, very quickly. So I, I don't necessarily like, you know, I had some baggage with me when that happened and I was like, you've pushed it out in front of you again. There was a like, there was another like much tamer shot, which he pushed out much further, like to the edge of the box, but it's still way out in front of him. And it's like, no, you've got to get that round the post. Um, but, but there was, there was also a really good save. I think it was from Edwards. He cut in and it looked like it had gone past him and he just got his arm back, um, inside mm -hmm. the post. And that was a really good save. So I, I, I thought his performance was not great. And I think it looks like that first goal is, is really down to him, I um, think so. yeah. to be honest. Um, but at the same time, I do think that there are some fundamentals there that if we had to play him for like four games in a row, I think he'd be all right. I, I, sorry, I think he'd be fine. I think he'd be more than all right. And he doesn't give me yet anyway, like the Almunias. He doesn't give me the, this guy might throw one in the net 
in a minute. Like, he's a good shot stopper. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. He, yeah. He gives me like, oh, his passing's not that great. And maybe he pushes the ball out in front, but he doesn't give me, he's going to all the Espinas. He doesn't give me the like, he's going to catch the ball and then he's going to fall into the back of his own net. Like, I, I don't, I don't get that from him. You've got he teams like needs- Chelsea starting guys like Keppa. I mean, like our <laughs> backup keeper's fine. Yeah, go ahead. He Glenn. just he just needs to play. Tim Naldi yeah. in the first sentence he said actually because the Man City Cup game we didn't look at him. We d- we didn't look backwards, did we? We did not look at him and think yeah. there's a problem there. We were thinking, well, we're, we're looking everywhere else. So you you, you nailed it. And I, another look at him, I always try to compare him and I compare him to say Fraser Forster, and I'd and I'd rather have Matt Turner all day long, right? So um, he is. He just needed to read this game, when to go short, when to go long. That was all it was. He created a momentum. They got a set piece from it and they scored. He just needed to clip it, realise they're getting on to us a bit. Let's settle this team down. Let's clip it. But we also know the manager could be saying we keep playing no matter what, right? So who knows what he's been told what to do. But yeah, he yeah. just needs to play. He just needs to play. Nothing else. I think it would probably worry Mikel more if he stopped going short. You know what I mean? Like if he abandoned the plan. So I, I think that's just one of those things. And to be fair, as a keeper, you can get shot stopping practice. I think it's hard to get the feel of the ball is at your feet in a real game with people bearing down on you in training. You know what I mean? I think you can you can get shots. Shot stopping is the thing keepers just naturally organically know how to do. But playing with the ball at your feet, you know, I got to do a Cruyff turn to beat this guy. I got to control it close to my body and <clears throat> pass it out under pressure. I think that that only comes in a game state. So anyway, um, so one or two other things I want to just cover here, and, and we'll keep this one relatively short because it is a Friday pod following Thursday football. Um, I, I do think it was a really good game for Saliba. Now Saliba may be a little bit at fault for a goal. He does get turned pretty easily on one uh, one moment there. Sporting could have won this game, by the way. Like they, their finishing was pretty, pretty shocking at times. Um, there's the one where Saliba gets turned around and, and they curl it well past the post, the the far post, and then there's the one where they're just in, completely in, and, and curl it past the near post. But I, I still think Saliba has recovered to a level of form that is more like how he started the season. Um, Clive, I, I, I just think at his age to be playing with the level of assurance he does his pace his physicality obviously that's genetically brilliant but his passing is so important to the way we are able to build play from the back he he really is for me back near his absolute best and I, it's scary to think about where the where the ceiling could be for this player because center backs aren't supposed to be this good at this age <laughs> they're, they're not right and um and a couple of years ago he was doing stuff that Kivior was doing looking tentative looking young and so you just you just got to give yeah. someone got to give someone time, and so discussing form really because Gabriel and Saliba are quite instructive about the form and the and, and the form roller coaster. There's a period back when we played Liverpool and Gabriel's making a mm-hmm. few mistakes. You know, gave a penalty away against Spurs and he didn't hook one away against Liverpool correctly and. They scored. We won those games. And people are saying, ah, oh, Gabriel's going to have to be sold. He's not doing it. And Sleeva was just cruising through the league with a cigar on. And everyone's singing his name at every single corner. We go to the World Cup. Gabriel doesn't go to the World Cup. He refines himself. Sleeva goes to the World Cup, doesn't play more than 10 minutes, hardly. He comes back. He doesn't look so sharp, Sleeva. Gabriel's come back. Mate, new contract signed. I'm the man. And I'm, don't worry, I'll do two jobs. 
My left back, you shoot off and don't control the game. I'll do two jobs. Sleeper slowly but surely refound his game, refound his rhythm. And now we've got two. <laughs> what was it? 23 or 24 and 21? And uh, good mates. We are incredibly fortunate, aren't we? We're incredibly yeah. fortunate to have those two players at the cost we paid for them. It's been a long time coming, but Saliba signs that contract. We are set. We are absolutely set from a first choice perspective. And now it's about developing the two beneath, which Kivio looks like one. And will we go into the market for the other? Or will we repurpose Ben White or Tommy Essie? Not so sure, but that's where we're heading. And it looks it looks wonderful squad building from here now, doesn't it, Elliot? Despite the uh, tra- travails we've been through over the last three years. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting too because we keep saying, oh, we, you know, if if Saliba was out, Kivior play or you know holding, and if Gabriel's out, with Kivior play. And the thing you forget is like Ben White was our best center back last season. <laughs> you know, like, and we don't even discuss him, Tomiyasu is a phenomenal center back. So we just, we have a really nice selection of, of defenders who can kind of roll into other positions if needed, which does raise one question, Tim, I just wanted to touch on, because we got a lot of this on social media being asked on Discord. The way Zinchenko plays, is there any thought at all that he would be the left eight in some games um, with maybe Tomiyasu behind him? Because when Tomiyasu came on, I know Clive's never thought of this, and, and Clive, I'm surprised that never crossed your mind. Um, if you're not watching on YouTube, it's it's class, classic <laughs> head shaking going on. The he- he's raised head shaking to an art form. Um, if uh, you know, if I thought Tomiyasu looked really good when he came in, he stabilized things. I I think he's comfortable in that position. You think about Anfield, you know, the job you might have to do on on Mohamed Salah, which again, an idea that Clive, I, I think you should maybe look into that. Um, <laughs> could you see a Zinchenko sliding into that left eight position if Tomiyasu is going to look this good at left back and maybe you, you get a little bit more solidity, but you don't lose that technical level that, that Zinchenko adds for us? I can't see Arteta doing it, no. <clears throat> and the reason I can't see it is because actually that, that left eight role is a fairly rigid one. Uh, tactically speaking, you've got like one lane to move up and down in, basically. And we can see, we can see like what the touch numbers look like on Jacker's game now. I think like the point of Zinchenko's role is the freedom um, of it. So yeah, he inverts and he goes and stands next to Thomas Partey. But then it's like you've got Zinchenko next to Partey, and then you've got Jacker in that that little lane. Um, you know, like a little scale electrics, scale electrics car that can just go up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually quite a restrictive role. Um, and probably would like he, he could do it. Yeah. I think he could do it, but also it's quite an off the ball role because it's kind of about filling gaps, both defensively running backwards, but also in an attacking sense, going and filling that lane. Whereas really like it, it's kind of weird for a left back, but Zinchenko is the free player. You know, in 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 the old days, it'd have been a number ten because in the old days, the number ten just did whatever the hell they wanted and went wherever they wanted. But now the ten has to like press and and defend from the front and all of that. Zinchenko's the free player. You you hear coaches talk about this all the time, like finding the spare player, finding the superiority, and actually Zinchenko's role either makes him the free player or it means you've got to go to him and you you free a player up. That's what his role is about, basically. It's not necessarily about him having 100 touches. It's about 
him having a hundred touches so that Erdegaard might be free, so that Martinelli might be free. So I, I like it could happen, but I just think that that role's so much more rigid. Um, whereas with with Zinchenko, it it's like he's he's got he's got total freedom to roam and then really we play with a back three um to be honest really it's like a white Saliba Gabriel back three essentially mm. and 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 I do think he'd stick with that because if I remember correctly Zinchenko was injured for the original Liverpool game so we you, you know playing Tomiyasu was a tactical masterstroke and I wouldn't necessarily complain if it happened again but yeah, I, I just think that left eight role is much more rigid and probably, not that it doesn't suit Zinchenko, but I don't think we'd get anywhere near as much as we do uh, in this free role. Yeah, and, and maybe it was just this game and the way this game was played and the number of changes we made, but Clive, I really noticed the lack of athleticism with Jorginho, Shaka, and Vieira. Now, Vieira, it's not that he can't run, he can't move. I just think Odegaard is massively underrated in terms of his tracking back, his defending, his athleticism. But when you have Thomas Party out there, you can cover more of that ground. And then you don't, I don't think you notice th- that Shaq is a little more static. I said this on the instant reaction. I'm willing to say it on the main pod because I'm not a coward. He says, feeling cowardly. I just think Shaq is looking a step slower. We talked about fatigue and things like that. Shaq is over 30. He's, he starts every game. He started every game in the World Cup. He's playing so much football. And when you look at, um, when you look at, the way we got run through a little bit by sporting, I think Jorginho, who was never known for his running, and Shaka, who was never really known for it, but it looked a bit lighter on his feet earlier this season, combined with the air. Like, I, I noticed it, I guess is what I'm saying. And so I wonder if if you noticed it as well, um, or if or if maybe it's much ado about nothing in a game that was a little bit strange. Yeah, so it's all about what you're trying to solve. And, and I, I've been worried about the stability of this team for a while, so... My feeling is I would stabilize in the fullback areas. And the reason why I would do that is I think the temperature of the games change as the season goes on. As we get closer and closer to the finishing line, all our priorities are going to change. The ability to score three goals every week is it's not going to be there. Because you're now saying to those young forwards, you've got to score three goals and you have the league season on your shoulders. So the priority has got to be we don't concede. So some of that could be positional selection changes. The number one takeaway from this game was sloppiness of our passing. Our passing was sloppy. For whatever reason it was, our square passing across the middle when we come off the sides, it's sloppy and we're getting picked on and that's the root cause for defensive transitions. Defensive transitions in this game, Jorginho's not very quick. Shaka is playing high, so he's not in the picture to transition. And if Sinchenko's not close, then we are basically back four. Back three. Yeah. Back two, actually. Because Ben White decided he's turned into Cafu yesterday in this game. So he was in position. He was emptying his hole very, very early. He's normally more circumspect as he empties a hole. So the back three Tim spoke about was really was a back two. And in that back two, with a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old playing his first competitive game, it's no wonder that kid was, was a little bit shell-shocked. You know, we left him on an island. So let's get back to our structures. I would make a change. I'm not, I think there's a wonderful tactical discussion to have around the eight, Sinchenko, what that eight looks like, what it's going to look like. The right side looks set, right? But that left side in that interior pocket there, what does it look like? How, how do we double up? How do we create our, 
how do we create our triangles and boxes in the center of central areas to make sure we control it and we can overload them? There's a debate to be had on what that looks like. And I'm maybe looking for the perfect solution via selection is not the answer, but recognizing the problem that the team is the other team is offering you and having the ability to change accordingly to make sure you nullify them, maybe that is the answer. So maybe we have our first group. But if we are get unstable in the left side, we know what to do. If we need more creativity in left eight, we know what to do. If we if we have got injury with party and we we're, and we're lacking some some re- defensive stability, then we maybe go to a flat two. I think having the options there is the key. But I'm not against Inchenko playing in that left eight, and I'll although Vieira is making me think we don't need to do it. But the reason why I just feel his ability to create things and pop up, have the personality to deliver and pass under extreme pressure. He's done it before. He got brought on in the last game of the season and he changed the game for Man City against Villa. He took the game over and from his ability under the highest pressure, he delivered. Don't count this out. Right now, we're just cool, but this will get hot. And players who can handle the heat are the ones we need to lean on. And he definitely yeah. can. So what's his space? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is the case that however we're feeling right now, we're going to feel a lot different in a couple of weeks. When we look at a team sheet and it's Jesus, Saka, Martinelli, Troussard's on the bench, and Kedia's back on the bench, Party's starting with Jorginho on the bench, and you, know, you look at the players that are going to start to come back, I, I think this is going to feel a lot less concerning. But Tim, we do have this second leg coming up. Just as a quick thought on it, I don't, I honestly, I know this sounds terrible. I don't care. I, I don't care. If we if we beat Fulham and Palace, I will not care. Um, <clears throat> but I know Mikel doesn't feel that way. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who don't feel that way. I am a little concerned. I am, I am a worrier. That's why my friends call me Whiskers. That he's just going to go full strength at home on Thursday to try to get this tie wrapped up and then make changes in the second half to the extent that it's comfortable. Now I say concerned, like that's not the end of the world. If he does that, obviously, do you think he's going to try to go, you know, full strength Sunday, full strength Thursday, full, full strength Sunday and try to just get to the international break and then reload. I, I still, I, the thing is like, we, we talk about like, ah, oh, he never, like he never, you know, he's always going full gun. Like he's not, like we played that city cup game and yeah yeah good point he mm-hmm. prioritized he prioritized this one like six changes like he wouldn't do that for a premier league game but i think now, he was I'm, hoping to come away from this one right with maybe a 2-0 yeah. and then next thursday you you coast you can that didn't happen. yeah 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 but yeah i i think it might be a little bit more mix and match so i don't think it will be quite the same team i think you'll see vieira um, again, certainly, I think you'll probably see Gabriel come back in, but maybe holding starts instead mm-hmm. of Saliba. Um, you know, Tommy Asu will start. Like it, it, it feels or a Tierney, bit. If he's yeah, have- yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, good call. Like I think Tierney probably will start the second leg. Um, and actually, with our, I say forward issues. I mean, we scored two goals, but like. I, I don't think that would be a bad thing, actually, because we've got a front three at the moment who don't really have like a 
uh well sorry a front four who who like the relationship is a bit mix and match and having someone else on that outside outside left lane then perhaps you get nelson and martinelli more inside um i actually think that could be quite a good thing um and then promote a little bit more kind of bringing those players closer together a bit more rotation so maybe it won't be six changes but i mean when we talk about like weakening the team there aren't that many players that legitimately do that. Um, I don't think, I think, yeah, turn up a Ramsdale. Yeah. You're you kind of, you, you do weaken yourself at goalkeeper there. Like Kivio, obviously at the moment you weaken yourself a bit. I'm not sure he'll play the second leg. Um, so I, I, I think, I think it will be a little bit more mix and match, but um, look, Saka and Martinelli are going to play. They'll probably play the whole 90 minutes unless it's like 4-0 or something. So I think we've kind of just got to get used to that aspect of it. I I don't think he'll go like the same team. He can't do the same team for the next three games. I think the kind of space we want to be getting into is gentle rotation because that's, that's what's coming next season. Like, you know, talking about Matt Turner earlier and where the games are. I mean, Champions League group stage. Are we playing Matt Turner next season? Maybe not. Maybe. Um, so we we've got to get into the habit of like that two three changes every game. But that's 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 kind of for next season. So sure, um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, as I said at the top of the the episode, like that's next season. This season, we have to play the season in front of us, and the season in front of us offers us a chance to win the Premier League. So you know, you do what you have to. It was a weird game. Look, it was a Europa, a very Europa game, including the refereeing, by the way. The refs seemed to be refing according to the standard of whatever you guys want. You guys want me to blow the whistle there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Did, oh, who gets the yellow card? Shacker or Martinelli? You want, you want me to give it to Martinelli? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll give it to Martinelli. VAR? No, don't worry about VAR. We'll ignore VAR. We'll just give it to Martinelli. It's cool. It was, it was a very, um, it was a very timid refereeing performance, to say the least. I think very influenced by the players. Um, and the Martinelli yellow card bizarre, but to be fair, Sporting will now have to play the second leg without quite a, I think a couple of players that got yellows that will have them suspended. So you'll take it, I guess. Clive, the, the priority now, we'll just quickly do this, is the weekend. It's Palace. Uh, it, it, it's Fulham away. And look, I know when you see seventh place team and you see they've been tough, definitely, I even said on a prior pod, I'm concerned about it. But if you look at the underlying metrics, this is a team that's defying gravity a little bit. They'll be without Paulini, as I've referenced. They have the worst expected goals allowed in the league. I'm not teeing this up to say it should be a layup. It should be easy teeing it up to be a layup. You know, however you play golf, however you play basketball, your choice. Um, but I think I think the fear factor in this game maybe is more reflected but where they are on the table than who, who they've actually been on the grass. Any thoughts that we'll have anything special for this game or anything we need to worry about? I think the biggest thing that jumps out to me, obviously, is our set-piece defending in Mitrovic, who's a bit of a bully. But other than that, I expect it to follow the pattern that we have all the ball and all the chances, really. Yeah, what did Fulham do? So they got they got informed wide man in Mana Solomon. Though he came from Shakhtar. We were linked to him many moons ago. Um, very right-footed player, inverts on the left-hand side, bang shots, crosses, quite sharp, very small. Um, we're now on the right-hand side, so he's got his little shuffle to his right foot that Tim's been watching for the last 15 years. Little shuffle out, he does can't be stopped. <laughs> Literally, he stops and shuffles to the right. Uh, we all know he's going to do it, but he can't be stopped. <laughs> and so that would be interesting, but he's not a speedster, so we can catch him up again. 
and centre mids de- depleted. But they do have two fullbacks, and one's is it Tete, and one's called Anthony Robinson, the US guy, and they're quite gallopy. You know, they do get up and down. And so those areas in behind them, I think, are really important. If we look at average position for Fulham, their fullback's incredibly wide. So they, they, they really do push forward in fullback areas and hold a centre mid. And we've got two very good wide men. So I know what I would do. I would play, I would play Martinelli and Saka wide, and I'll take those spaces, and I would just block the middle with a box. That's what I would do, and, and go from there and have a false nine, or with, almost like a double false nine or double false ten, and have your widest players as your furthest players forward, Liverpool style, and um, and go for them in that way. So I think your point, Elliot, we're playing them at a good time. I think this might be a good time. But what I will say is it's time for us to score the first goal and then the second goal and maybe have a boring day because my blood pressure tablets are running out, mate. I can't take this anymore. Right? Um, this has got to be calmer. Right? <laughs> it's got to be calmer. And um, so we have to score the first goal. Get back to the fast start, Arsenal. Score the first goal and make them make a mistake. Score the second goal and play the game out. So we can start to give some of these players who we need, who we need to cook Give them good minutes, garbage time minutes. You know what I mean? Yes, Tim, another Leicester, but with another goal. Perfect. That's Brentford, basically. Let's have Brentford, shall we? Brentford away. That would be nice. And um, yeah, so we can so we can cook some of these players who are undercooked because we're in a good position in the game. That's what we need to do going forward. And I, I just wanted to add to that again, just to like, I guess, add a little bit of insight from another coach. But I spoke to uh, Jonas Seidervall about exactly this on Wednesday night. Arsenal were two 0 up at half time, and they've brought in some some young transfers, and he put them on, and he kind of said these were really valuable minutes because there was still something in the game. Like it wasn't, we weren't like five nil up and coasting. Like he said, I need to give them meaningful minutes, but two nil was just a nice space to do it in. It was like it's two nil. The opponents are coming at us. There's still something on the game, and he was like to, you know, to use. He didn't use the the word cook, but that's what he was referring to. He's like, I will bring these players up to the level, and that was a perfect opportunity for me to do that. And Arsenal probably in that game left another goal or two on the pitch in doing that. But the long term view was. I've got to get these players in the team and give them minutes. Yeah. Well, it's another crunch weekend in the Premier League and Manchester City traveled to Palace. Now, Palace are in a bad moment, not doing particularly well, but maybe one eye on Leipzig, you know, on the return leg in a, in a tie that they are currently drawing, I believe, 1-1. So that's the kind of stuff you hope for. Um, they do play on the Saturday, I believe. So we will know the result going into our game against Fulham. And this is the pressure we're going to be facing all season long. Uh, if you've made it to the end of this pod, I will let you know that New York and Chicago events about to be announced, both in April, uh, New York, the weekend after Easter, so the West Ham weekend, I believe that is, and the Chicago event, Southampton weekend. Now, that's currently a Friday game, but I think it's going to move to Sunday, assuming we get past Sporting Lisbon. So maybe now I have more interest in caring about the Europa League so that the Chicago event becomes even more celebratory. These Those will both be live podcasts. Um, and there'll be a lot more uh, to come on that. There'll also be money given to charity and things like that, and a lot more to come on that as well. So I uh, hope to see many of you over on this side of the pond. In May, there will be something on the other side of the pond, and uh, just lots of fun stuff happening, including the football, which is, you know, pretty, pretty good right now. So <laughs> let's keep that going. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stillmanator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner or... 
as I said at the end of the instant reaction, you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Birdo. Now that I've got the Stillmanator thing down, it's Clyde Birdo and Yankee Birdo. That's where we're going with that. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 full of milk. 